0: BOOK ONE, CHAPTER SEVEN, OF THE HISTORY OF POMPEY THE LITTLE. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY RICHARD KILMER THE HISTORY OF POMPEY THE LITTLE, OR THE LIFE AND ADVENTURES OF A LAPDOG, BY FRANCIS COVENTRY. BOOK ONE, CHAPTER SEVEN RELATING A CURIOUS DISPUTE ON THE IMMORTALITY OF THE SOUL IN WHICH THE NAME OF OUR HERO WILL BUT ONCE BE MENTIONED. NOTHING IS MORE COMMON ON THE STAGE THAN TO SUSPEND THE CURIOSITY OF THE AUDIENCE IN THE MOST INTERESTING SCENES OF A PLAY AND RELIEVE THEM, AS IT IS CALLED, WITH A DANCE OF GHOSTS OR DEVILS OR FURIES or other outlandish beings. In imitation of this laudable custom, before the reader proceeds any farther in Pompey's history, he is desired to relieve himself with a curious dispute on the immortality of the soul, which passed one day in our hero's presence. Lady Tempest, about this time, being indisposed with some trifling disorder, kept her chamber and was attended by two physicians. These gentlemen were now making their morning visit, and had just gone through the examination, which custom immemorial prescribes as, "'How did your ladyship sleep last night?' "'Do you find any drouth, madam?' "'Pray, let me look at your ladyship's tongue, and many other questions, which I have not leisure now to record, when, on a sudden, a violent rap at the door.' and shortly afterwards the appearance of a visitor interrupted their proceedings. The lady who now arrived came directly up to Lady Tempest and made her compliments. Then, being desired to sit down, she fell into some common chit-chat on the news of the town, in the midst of which, without anything preparatory to such a subject, addressing herself on a sudden to one of the physicians with a face of infinite significance and erudition. She asked him if he believed in the immortality of the soul. But before we answer this extraordinary question, or relate the conversation that ensued upon it, it will be for the reader's ease to receive a short sketch of her character. In many respects, this lady was in similar circumstances with Lady Tempest, only with this difference. That the one had been separated from her husband by his death the other divorced from hers by act of Parliament. The one was famous for wit, and the other affected the character of wisdom. Lady Sophister, for that was her name, as soon as she was released from the matrimonial fetters, set out to visit foreign parts, and had displayed her charms in most of the courts in Europe. There, in many parts of her tour, she had cultivated an acquaintance with the literati, and particularly in france where the ladies affect a reputation of science and are able to discourse on the profoundest questions of theology and philosophy the labyrinths of a female brain are so varied and intricate that it is difficult to say what first suggested the opinion to her whether caprice or vanity of being singular but all of a sudden her ladyship took a fancy into her head to disbelieve the immortality of the soul. and never came into the company of learned men without displaying her talents on this wonderful subject. This extraordinary principle, to show that she did not take up her notions lightly and wantonly, she was able to demonstrate, and could appeal to the greatest authorities in defense of it. She had read Hobbes, Malbranch, Locke, Shaftesbury, Wollaston, and many more, all of whom she obliged to give testimony to her paradox and perverted passages out of their works, with a facility very easy to be imagined. But Mr. Lonk had the misfortune to be her principal favorite, and consequently it rested chiefly upon him to furnish her with quotations whenever her ladyship pleased to engage in controversy. Such was the character of Lady Sophister, who now arrived and asked the surprising question above mentioned concerning the immortality of the soul. Dr. Kildarby, to whom she addressed herself, astonished at the novelty of the question, sat staring with horror and amazement on his companion, which Lady Tempest, observing, and guessing that her female friend was going to be very absurd, resolved to promote the conversation for her own amusement. "'Turning herself, therefore, to the doctor,' she said, with a smile, "'Don't you understand the meaning of her ladyship's question, sir? "'She asks you if you believe in the immortality of the soul.' "'Believe in the immortality of the soul, madam?' said the doctor, staring. "'Bless me, your ladyships, astonish me beyond measure.' "'Believe in the immortality of the soul? "'Yes, undoubtedly, and I hope all mankind does the same.' "'Be not sure of that, sir,' said Lady Sophister. "'Pray, have you ever read Mr. Locke's Controversy "'with the Bishop of Worcester?' "'Mr. Locke's Controversy, madam,' replied the doctor. "'I protest. I am not sure.' "'Mr. Locke's Controversy with the Bishop of Worcester.' "'Let me see. I vow. I can't recollect. "'My reading has been very multifarious and extensive.' "'Yes, madam.' "'I think I have read it, though I protest "'I can't be sure whether I have read it or no.' "'Have you ever read it, Dr. Rhubarb?' said she, "'addressing herself to the other physician.' "'Oh, yes, madam, very often,' replied he. "'Tis that fine piece of his where—' "'Yes, yes, I have read it very often. "'I remember it perfectly well. "'But pray, madam, is there any passage— "'I beg your ladyship's pardon, if I am mistaken— but is there any passage i say in that piece which tends to confirm your ladyship's notion concerning the immortality of the soul why pray sir said the lady with a smile of triumph what do you esteem the soul to be is it air or fire or ether or some kind of quintessence as aristotle observed and composition of all the element dr rhubarb quite dumbfounded with so much learning "'desired first to hear her ladyship's opinion of the matter. "'My opinion,' returned she, "'is exactly the same with Mr. Locke's. "'You know Mr. Locke observes "'there are various kinds of matter. "'Well, but first we should define matter, "'which you know the logicians tell us "'is an extended, solid substance. "'Well, out of this matter, "'some you know is made into roses and peach trees.' then the next step which matter takes is animal life from whence you know we have lions and elephants and all the race of brutes then the last step as mr locke observes is thought and reason and volition from whence are created men and therefore you very plainly see, 'tis impossible for the soul to be immortal pardon me madam said rhubarb roses and peach trees and elephants and lions "'I protest. "'I remember nothing of this nature in Mr. Locke.' "'Nay, sir,' said she, "'can you deny me this? "'If the soul is fire, "'it must be extinguished. "'If it is air, "'it must be dispersed. "'If it be only a modification of matter, "'why, then, of course, "'it ceases. "'You know when matter is no longer modified, "'if it be anything else, "'it is exactly the same thing. "'And therefore you must confess.' indeed doctor you must confess that 'tis impossible for the soul to be immortal dr kildarby who had sat silent for some time to collect his thoughts finding what a learned antagonist he had to cope with began now to harangue in the following manner madam said he as to the nature of the soul to be sure there have been such opinions as your ladyship mentions about it many various And unaccountable opinions. Some called it divinium choleste, others quinta essentia, as your ladyship observes, and others inflammata anemia, that is, madam, inflamed air. Aristoxinus, an old musician, as I remember, imagined the soul to be a musical tune, and a mathematician that I have heard of supposed it to be like an equilateral triangle, Descartes, I think, makes its residence to be the pineal gland of the brain, where all the nerves terminate. And Bori, I remember, the Milanese physician, in a letter to Bartholin, De Orto Cerebi and Uso Medico, asserts that in the brain is found a certain very subtle, fragrant juice, which I conceive may be the same as the nervous juice or animal spirits, and this he takes to be the residence or seat of the soul, the subtility or finesse of which he supposes to depend, madam, on the temperature of this liquor. But really, all these opinions may very probably be false. We do but grope in the dark, madam. We do but grope in the dark. And it would be better to let the subject entirely alone. The concurrent opinions of all mankind have ever agreed in believing the immortality of the soul. And this, I confess, is to me an unanswerable argument of its truth. You see, madam, I purposely waive the topic of revelation. Oh, sir, as to that matter, cries the lady, interrupting him. As to revelation, sir. And here she ran into much commonplace raillery at the expense only of Christianity and the gospel. till Lady Tempest cut her short and desired her to be silent on that head for this good lady believed all the doctrines of religion and was contented like many others with the trifling privilege only of disobeying all its precepts lady sophister however resolved not to quit the field of battle but rallied her forces and once more fell on her adversaries with an air of triumph you say i think sir resumed she "'that a multitude of opinions will establish a truth. "'Now, you know all the Indians believe "'that their dogs will go to heaven along with them. "'And, if a great many opinions can prove anything to be true, "'what say you to that, sir? "'India, you know, doctor, "'is a prodigious large wide tract of continent, "'where the gymnosophists lived, and all that. "'Pray, Lady Tempest, let us look at your globes.' "'My globes, madam?' said Lady Tempest. "'What globes of mine does your ladyship desire to see?' "'What globes?' replied the disputant. "'Why, your celestial and terrestrial globes, to be sure. "'I want to look out India in the map, "'and show the doctor what a prodigious wide tract of continent "'it is in comparison of our Europe. "'However, come, I believe we can do without them. "'As I was saying, therefore,' "'Sir, the Indians, you know, believe their dogs "'will bear them company to heaven. "'And if a great many opinions can establish the truth "'of an hypothesis, you understand me, I hope, "'because I would fain speak to be understood, "'I say, if a great many opinions can prove anything to be true, "'what say you to that, sir? "'For instance, now, there's Lady Tempest's little lap-dog.' "'My dear little creature,' said Lady Tempest, "'catching him up in her arms. "'Will you go to heaven along with me? "'I shall be vastly glad of your company, Pompey, if you will.' "'From this hint, both their ladyships had many bright sallies. "'To Lady Sophister, flushed with the hopes of this argument, "'recalled her adversary to the question, "'and desired to hear his reply. "'Come, sir,' said she. "'You have not yet responded to my argument. "'You have not answered my last syllogism.' "'I think I have graveled you now. "'I think I have done for you. "'I think I have demolished you, doctor.' "'Not at all, madam,' said Kildarby. "'Really, as to that matter, "'that is neither here nor there. "'Opinions, madam, vague, irregular opinions, "'will spring up and float in people's brains. "'But we are talking of the dictates of sense and reason. "'Savages, madam, will be savage. "'But Indians have nothing to do with Europeans.' The reply to what your ladyship has advanced would be easy and obvious, but really I must beg to be excused. My profession does not oblige me to a knowledge of such subjects. I came here to prescribe as a physician and not to discuss topics of theology. Come, brother, I believe we only interrupt their ladyships, and I am obliged to call upon my lord and Sir William and Lady Betty and many other people of quality this morning. Dr. Rhubarb declared that he likewise had as many visits to make that morning, whereupon taking their leave and their fees, the two gentlemen retired with great precipitation, leaving her ladyship in possession of the field of battle, who immediately reported all over the town that she had outreasoned two physicians and obliged them, by dint of argument, to confess that the soul is not immortal. And now, begging the reader's pardon for this digression, let us return to our hero, who, I'm afraid, is going to suffer a great revolution in his life. End of Book One, Chapter Seven Recording by Richard Kilmer, Rio Medina, Texas